The Guardian. Order. Questions to the Prime Minister. Mr Nick Bowles. Number one, sir. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I hope you'll permit me, before, before answering questions, Mr Speaker, to make the following announcement. Yesterday, a warrior armoured fighting vehicle on patrol near the eastern border of Helmand province was struck by an explosion. It is with very great sadness that I must tell the House that six soldiers are missing, believed killed. Five of the soldiers are from the 3rd Battalion, the Yorkshire Regiment, and one is from the 1st Battalion, the Duke of Lancaster's Regiment. Our thoughts are with the family and friends of these brave servicemen. This would be the largest loss of life in a single incident in Afghanistan since 2006. It takes the overall number of casualties that we have suffered in Afghanistan to over 400. Every death and every injury reminds us of the human cost paid by our armed forces to keep our country safe. I have spoken this morning to the Chief of the Defence Staff, the Chief of the General Staff and the Commanding Officer of 3rd Battalion, the Yorkshire Regiment. They each stressed the commitment of our troops to the mission and to getting the job done. But I know everyone will want a message of support and backing for our troops and their families to go out from this House today. This morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others, and in addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Mr Nick Bowles. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I echo the Prime Minister's tribute to the fallen? Their service and their sacrifice humbles us all. With this terrible news in mind, will my right honourable friend use his meetings next week with President Obama to coordinate a prudent drawdown of Allied forces in Afghanistan and to ensure that Afghan forces get the training and equipment they need to take over? Well, I thank my honourable friend for his question. I think next week is an opportunity to make sure that Britain and America, as the two largest contributors to the ISAF mission uh, uh, in Afghanistan, are absolutely in lockstep about the importance of training up the Afghan army, training up the Afghan police, and making sure that all NATO partners have a properly coordinated process for transition in that country so that the Afghans can take responsibility for the security of their own country and we can bring our forces home. Ed Miliband. Mr Speaker, can I join the Prime Minister in expressing profound sadness at the terrible news of our six soldiers missing, feared dead. Today is a day we are reminded of the ongoing commitment and sacrifice that our service personnel make on our behalf. By putting themselves in harm's way for our benefit, they demonstrate the utmost service and courage. We owe them and all of those who have lost their lives in Afghanistan an immense debt of gratitude, and our thoughts are with their family, friends and colleagues at this terrible time. Mr Speaker, at moments like this, does the Prime Minister agree with me that we must restate clearly the reasons for our mission in Afghanistan? A more stable, self-governing Afghanistan to to produce more stable outcomes in that region and to ensure greater safety for our citizens here at home. I thank the Right Honourable Gentleman for his words. He's absolutely right. Our mission in Afghanistan does remain vital to our national security. We're there to prevent that country from being a safe haven to al-Qaeda, from where they might plan attacks on the UK or our allies. Our task 
is simple. It is to equip the Afghan government and the forces of Afghanistan with the capability and the capacity to take care of their own national security without the need for foreign troops on their soil. That is our aim. We are making progress. In terms of Afghan National Army, it stands at 184,000, on target for 195,000 by the end of this year. The Afghan National Police standing at 145,000, on target for 157,000 at the end of this year. We are making progress. This is absolutely essential for bringing our troops home, but I agree with him. We need to restate clearly why we're there, why it's in our national interest, and to make sure, as both the, the, the commander of of the battalion said to me today, his men have high morale. They know they are doing an important mission for the future of this country, for the future of the world, and they want our support as they go about it. Mr Ed Miliband. Mr Speaker, I thank the Prime Minister for that answer. He and I also agree that it is essential that we build now for a political settlement in Afghanistan for when our troops are gone. Can he therefore take this moment to update the House on what diplomatic progress is being made on securing a broader and more inclusive political settlement needed for a stable Afghanistan? And does he further agree with me that the whole international community must up the pace of progress towards this political settlement so that we can, do, we can ensure that we do all we can to make concrete progress between now and the departure of our combat troops at the end of 2014? Thank the right hon. Gentleman. I think that we're clearly planning the increase in the army and the police, which are the physical forces that will take over. But the greatest difference we could make is a stronger political settlement that will make sure that Afghan, Afghanistan has the chance of real peace, stability, prosperity and security in the future. There are some good signs in that there are proper discussions now between the Afghan and Pakistan governments. There is a clear message coming out of Afghanistan and Pakistan to all those who are engaged in violence, to give up that violence and to join a political process. There is strong support for that across the Arab world, uh, particularly in the Middle East. We need to give that every possible support we can and to send a very clear message uh, to the Taliban that whether it is our troops who are there or whether it is Afghan troops that are there, they will not win on the battlefield. They never win on the battlefield. And now is time for a political settlement to give this country a chance of peaceful progress. Mr Jack Lepresti. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I would also like to echo the Prime Minister's tribute to our brave men and women and obviously other members of the, across the House who are asked to make sacrifices quite often on a daily basis to keep our country safe and ensure for a better, peaceful Afghanistan. So will the Prime Minister confirm that despite these tragic events, ISAF will remain in Afghanistan in one form or another for as long as it takes to complete the miss mission, which is for a safe, secure and stable Afghanistan, with the Afghanistan people taking responsibility for their own security. Well, we have now a very clear timetable, which is all about transitioning parts of Afghanistan over to Afghan security control, which allows our troops to uh, move into the background and eventually move out of the country. And we're already seeing in Helmand itself, where we have been for all these years, one of the toughest parts of Afghanistan. For instance, in Lashkagar, the effective capital of Helmand, that is now controlled by Afghan forces. So this process is ongoing. I believe it can be properly completed by the end of 2014, so that we will leave in a proper and orderly fashion a handing over to Afghan troops. But let's be clear, the relationship between Britain and other countries in Afghanistan will go on. It will be a relationship of military training, of diplomacy, of support, of aid and of help for that country. We must learn the lessons of the past, which is what a mistake it was to turn away from Afghanistan. Mr Virendra Sharma. Thank you, Mr Speaker. 
The Prime Minister's Business Secretary says of the government section on economic growth, our actions are, frankly, rather piecemeal. Does the Prime Minister agree? Well, obviously, I don't agree with that. What this government is doing is uh, cutting corporation tax, investing in apprenticeships, building enterprise zones, making sure that right across our economy there's the rebalancing taking place that is necessary for sustained economic growth. Mr Simon Hart. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Um, my constituents have to wait longer to get a hospital appointment than they would in England. They are five times less likely to get certain cancer drugs than they are in England, and if they get to hospital, they're twice as likely to get an infection than they are in England. Does this prove to the Prime Minister that you can't trust Labour with the NHS? I think my honourable friend makes an important point, which is if you look at what has happened to the NHS in Wales, I think it does show what happens if you don't put in the resources, if you don't put in the money, because the resources are being cut in Wales, but also if you don't reform the NHS to make sure there's a proper uh, a chance for people to get the treatments they need. And so there isn't the Cancer Drugs Fund in Wales, there are much longer waiting times, there are much longer waiting lists, and I think that is an example of what happens without the money, without the reform. Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister is proud of his welfare reforms. Can he... Can he, can he look me in the eye and tell me he is proud of the decision to remove all disability benefits from a 10-year-old child who can hardly walk, who cannot toilet herself because she has cerebral palsy. Is he truly proud? This, this, this government is not cutting the money that's going into disability benefits. We are replacing, we're replacing disability living allowance with the personal independence payment. And as someone who's actually filled out the form for disability living allowance and had a child with cerebral palsy, I know how long it takes to fill in that form. We're going to have a proper medical test so people who are disabled, who need that help, get it more quickly. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. On Friday, PC Trevor Moore. Order! I say to the Honourable Gentleman from Brighton that he will stay silent, and that sort of noise is not acceptable in this forum. Mr. Nadim Zahawi. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. On Friday, PC Trevor Hall and PCSO Claire Miller, two of the best from Warwickshire Police, came to see me about the life threatening effects of a new legal high called Black Mamba on the life of a 13 year old in my constituency. I'm informed that Black Mamba is the latest legal high being sold on our streets in the UK. Can I ask my right honourable friend that now that we have regulations that allow us to act swiftly to ban potentially dangerous legal highs, would my right honourable friend act on this substance immediately? And how, and, and We're grateful to the honourable gentleman who should resume his seat. It's too long. Prime Minister. No, well, my honourable friend raises an important issue. We are determined to stamp out these so-called legal highs. The Home Office is aware of this particular drug. We now do have this drugs early warning system, uh, and so the system brings these things to our attention. But as he says, a decision now needs swiftly to be made, and I'll make sure that happens. Ed Miliband. Yeah. Mr Speaker, Tim Howes is a delivery driver from Dartford. He's a married father of three and the sole earner in his family. He currently works 20 hours a week. 
From next month, under the Prime Minister's proposals, unless he works 24 hours a week, he will lose all his working tax credit, some £60 a week. He says, I have approached my employer to possibly increase my hours, but I have been told there simply aren't the hours there. I would love to work full time. Mr Speaker, what is the Prime Minister's advice to Tim Howes? Well, first of all, let me just set the context for this, because we did need to reform. I will answer the question very directly, but we do need to reform the tax credit system because we have a massive budget deficit. When we came to office, tax credits were going to nine out of ten families, including people right up the income scale, including members of parliament. Now, what our changes do in terms of this specific case is we're dealing with the basic unfairness that we ask a single parent to work six 16 hours before getting access to the tax credit system. So I think it's only right to say to couples that between them they should work 24 hours, i.e. 12 hours each. Now if that's the case and they do do that, they'll actually be better off. Ed Miliband. Mr Speaker, I have to say to the Prime Minister that answer is no use to Mr Howes and his family. He can't find the extra hours. He's going to lose... He's going to lose... See, the, the um, Defence Secretary shouts from a sedentary position, what about his wife? Well, well let me tell you, his wife is looking after their three school-aged children and, 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 and can't... and can't... and can't... Fi- and can't... and can't find hours consistent... consistent with that. Mr Speaker, Mr Speaker, Tim Howes and 200,000 couples are going to lose... are going to lose as a result of this. And before the election, the Prime Minister said in the TV debates that for Labour to say, and I quote, that the changes we are making to tax credits will hit low-income families is simply not true. Why has he broken that promise? We have increased the child tax credit that goes to the poorest families in our country. But to answer him very directly, I don't think it's unreasonable when we say to a single parent that they have to work 16 hours to get access to the tax credit system, I don't think it's unreasonable to ask a couple to work an average of 12 hours each. That is what we're asking. But in a way, this relates to a bigger picture. We have a massive budget deficit. Support the welfare cap, if he's not going to support the housing benefit cap, if he won't support cuts to legal aid, if he won't support cuts to tax credits, how on earth will we deal with a deficit? Mr. Mr. Speaker, in case the Prime Minister didn't realise, in Dartford, where the the Howes family live, there are five people chasing every vacancy. It's just not good enough for the Prime Minister to say, well, they should get out out to work. If they can't find the work, they'll find they're better off on benefits than in work because of the Prime Minister's change. And that's something he said he wanted to avoid. And it also goes to this matter of trust. The Prime Minister made a clear promise, just like he made a clear promise on child benefit. Before the election, he said, I'm not going to flannel you. I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give it to you straight. I like child benefit. I wouldn't change child benefit. I wouldn't means test child benefit. I don't think that's a good idea. We've already established he's broken his promise to low-income families. Why has he broken his promise to middle-income families too? Well, here we go. Another change he doesn't support. He seems to think. He seems to think that people on order, or order. The question has been asked. The prime minister's answer must be heard. The prime minister. Does, does, 
does he really think that people earning 20,000, 25,000 pounds should pay for his child benefit? I, I don't agree with that. I think we have to make savings, so not giving child benefit to the wealthiest 15% of families in our country, of course it's a difficult decision. Life is about difficult decisions. Government's about difficult decisions. Isn't it a pity he's just not capable of taking one? Mr. Speaker, first of all, we're talking about families on £43,000 a year. And secondly, it's no good the Prime Minister saying he now supports the principle that people on higher income shouldn't get child benefit, because before the election, he supported the opposite principle. And, and, and he said quite clearly to families up and down this country, I'm not going to take away your child benefit. Mr. Speaker, in my book, there's a very simple word for that. It is a broken promise. A broken promise by this Prime Minister. Two broken promises. They're right. Two broken promises. Two broken promises. Mr Speaker, the reality is this. Lower income families are losing their tax credits. Middle income families are losing their child benefit. Does the Prime Minister understand why people just don't believe him when he says we're all in this together? Prime Minister. I really do think it is time for the right honourable gentleman to listen to his own shadow chief secretary who said this, we must ensure we pass the test of fiscal credibility. If we don't get this right, it doesn't matter what we say about anything else. She is absolutely right. Reducing our deficit takes tough decisions. Now, he has opposed every single cut. He's opposed the welfare cap. He's opposed the housing benefit cap. He opposes legal aid cuts. No wonder when people dial up a radio phone in and they eventually work out who he is, they all say the same thing. He's not remotely up to the job. Yeah. Mr Mark Pritchard. Let's, let order, let's hear from Mr Mark Pritchard. Mr Speaker, following last week's statement on the use of wild animals in circuses, could the Prime Minister inform the House whether a ban will be introduced in this Parliament and before the next general election? Well, I do want to see... Uh... I do want to see a ban introduced. It's the overwhelming opinion of members in this House. We're putting in place a regulatory scheme in the short term, but I think my right honourable friend, the Environment Secretary, made absolutely clear that it's our intention to introduce a ban in full as well. Mr Paul Blomfield. Mr Speaker, uh, today the Business Select Committee published a major report on consumer debt. Last November, R3 reported 60% of people worried about debt and 3.5 million considering payday loans. In the years since the government concluded its consultation, no action has been announced. Will the Prime Minister commit to act now to protect vulnerable families, or will he accept he's simply out of touch with the financial reality facing them as a result of his policies? I think as the last exchange just proved, we are worried about debt. The whole country needs to be worried about debt. And the problem is the Labour Party doesn't seem to understand there's a debt problem. Now, there's been a debt problem in our economy. There's also a debt problem for many households. And we do need to make sure that they get help. That's why we're making sure Citizens Advice Bureau continues to get help, as they're one of the most important services for helping families in that way. Mr Douglas Carswell. The coalition agreement contains many uh, bold and brilliant proposals to give Britain the change that uh, we, we need. 
open primaries, a bonfire of the quangos, radical localism. Sometimes, however, progress has been a little bit slower than some of us on, on this side would have hoped. Sometimes the radicalism has been ever so slightly blunted. Is this because of the constraints of coalition or because of the Whitehall machine? Um, well, it, it was good to have such a helpful start from my uh, honourable friend. I, I think this government has done a number of radical things right across the board, whether it is welfare reform to make sure it always pays to work, whether it's education reform to give greater independence to our schools, uh, whether it's tax reform to give us competitive tax rates. Of course, I always want us to go further and faster. I don't blame the Whitehall machine. In the end, the politicians must always take responsibility. Tom Harris. My, con <coughs> my constituent, James Toner, was arrested in Goa nearly three years ago on drugs charges. He was subsequently released when it turned out that the police officers who arrested him were themselves under investigation for corruption. He has spent the last 22 months in a legal limbo. His passport has been confiscated. He cannot travel. He cannot work. He doesn't even know when this case is going to come to court. Does the Prime Minister agree with me that justice delayed is justice denied? And will he make sure that a Foreign Office Minister meets with me urgently to discuss the case of my constituents? Yeah, yeah. I will certainly do that. I think it's very important that the Honourable Gentleman and others feel they can stand up for their constituents on the other side of the world who are being treated in this way and we can take up these cases. I think the work of Fair Trials Abroad and other organisations is very important in this respect and I'll make sure the Foreign Office meet with him soon. Mr Lee Scott. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Will the Prime Minister join me in congratulating the project that is starting a pilot in my constituency in September, which is being funded by both the private sector, the London Borough of Redbridge, various charities, congratulating the co-chairman Richard and Philippa Mintz and the Interface Group to get young people with special needs into employment? Yeah. I will certainly join him in supporting uh, that project. I think it is important that we not only help children with special needs through their schooling time, but also through that transition uh, after school and into college, and then try and help them to find work. And it sounds like this is an excellent project that deserves his support. Mrs Sharon Hodgson. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I ask the Prime Minister, is it true, and I quote, the problem is that policy has been run by two public school boys who don't know what it's like to go to the supermarket and to put things back on the shelves because they can't afford it for their children's lunch boxes. What's worse, they don't care either. Not my words, Mr Speaker, but the words of Conservative MP for me, Bedfordshire. I would have thought, coming from the North East, she should be celebrating the fact that Nissan are going to be building their new Instead of, instead of whatever the nonsense it was she read out. Oliver Colville. My tributes, my personal tributes to our fallen as well. Uh, Mr Speaker, on Monday, Clare's Law came into being. Would my right honourable friend be willing to meet with me and Sergeant Carney Howarth to learn firsthand how this team's groundbreaking initiative <laughs> in Devonport, Operation Compass, is helping to make sure that children in my Devonport constituency in Sutton, that they end up by growing up uh, in an area where there is not going to be domestic violence anymore. 
Well, I think my right hon. Friend is absolutely right to raise this issue in his constituency and also to raise it this week when tomorrow we have International Women's Day. And I think it is important the move that's been made on Claire's Law. I think it is a breakthrough to give women this information if they seek it. I want us to follow that by looking at a specific offence on stalking. I want us to continue to support the rape crisis centres as we are under this government and to make sure we act on domestic violence right across the board. Question number 10, close question, Mr Brian Donoghue. Number 10. Um, I look forward to visiting Scotland soon. <laughs> Mr Brian Donoghue. I'm not so sure, Mr Speaker. I'm not so sure, Mr Speaker, that I don't know that he is coming to my constituency very soon indeed. Uh, in fact, later this month to his Tory party conference oh, in yeah. Troon. But uh, I want to, I want to know, I want to know whether or not he agrees with me that the uncertainty that has been created by the Nats around the separatist idea of a referendum that has been delayed longer than it should be is not leading to an uncertainty of inward investment both in my constituency and elsewhere. Will he come with me while he's in Troon to see some inward investment or potential inward investment? It's a promise, Mr Speaker, that he made to me at a meeting a year ago. When he asked me this question a year ago, I did actually meet with a delegation from his constituency. I agree with every word he said, and I make him this offer. As I'm going to be in Troon, he can make that short trip from his constituency. We can share a platform together and point out the dangers of separatism and the nationalist agenda. Are you up for it? Mrs Mensch. Labour controls Corby Borough Council. I want the Honourable Lady's question to be heard in full with a bit of quiet, perhaps a bit of respect. Louise Mench. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Labour-controlled Corby Borough Council are trying to suppress a report into the scandal at the Corby queue. £26 million of Corby people's money has been wasted, and now councillors are being threatened with disciplinary action if they blow the whistle. Does the Prime Minister agree the council should come clean with Corby people? I agree with the Honourable Lady, and she raises an important point, which is there is now proposals for total transparency in local government, that expenditure over £500 should be separately documented, that the salaries, names, budgets and responsibilities of staff paid over £58,000 should all be published, including councillors' allowances and expenses, including all the organisational charts. We want the wind of transparency to go right through local government, Corby included. Mr John Cryer. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Article 16 of the European Fiscal Compact says very clearly that it will be incorporated into the European treaties in five years. Will he promise now to veto that, or doesn't he expect to be here in five years' time? What the treaty says very clearly is it can only be incorporated with the position of all 27 uh, member states of the European Union, and our position on that has not changed. Nigel Adams. (coughs) Thank you, uh, Mr Speaker. Can the uh, Prime Minister join me, along with the thousands of families with missing loved ones, including the family of missing York woman Claudia Lawrence, in supporting the sensible recommendations of the Justice Select Committee's report into missing people's rights and the presumption of death? 
I think this, this is an important issue he raises, and I pay tribute to Peter Lawrence and his support for this campaign, Missing People. The Justice Select Committee has made an important report on this issue. We acknowledge the present law is complicated. I recognise all the emotional and practical difficulties faced by those whose loved ones are, are missing. We're going to consider these recommendations very carefully, and perhaps I'll write to the Honourable Gentleman when we come up with the answer. Sheila Gilmore. Thank you, Mr Speaker. If, if the Prime Minister uh, manages to persuade his Chancellor to remove some of the anomalies in his child benefit policy to help people earning over £43,000 a year, will he then take action to help the couples on minimum wage who are set to lose £3,000 from April? Yeah. Well, I think we've, we've dealt with this earlier, which is, you know, look, we are making a long-term reform, quite apart from the point about the unfairness between the single person and 16 hours. We're making a long-term reform, universal credit, which will mean that everyone is always better off in work, no matter how many hours they work. That is something you had 13 years to put in place. We'll have it done in 18 months. Mr Tim Farron. Mr Speaker, on Saturday, 2,000 of us marched through Kendall to present a petition of 11,000 people calling for radiotherapy services at the Westmoreland General Hospital in Kendall. Will my right honourable friend agree to meet with me, the commissioners and cancer campaigners to make sure we bring cancer treatment to Kendall so that local lives can be made longer, journeys shorter? I, I know from having visited uh, his constituency how important the issue of the hospital is. I know my right-hand friend, the Health Secretary, is fully engaged in this issue, and perhaps I can fix a meeting between him and my right-hand friend to make sure that this issue is dealt with. Roy. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Royal Bank of Scotland has recently axed another 300 jobs, mostly in Edinburgh and London. However, the jobs have not gone completely. They've all been outsourced to India. The Prime Minister and the Government are the biggest shareholders on behalf of the stakeholders. So when will the Prime Minister stand up to RBS and prevent these needless job losses in the UK? I think the most important thing we have to do with the Royal Bank of Scotland is to recognise that the last government put in, on behalf of the country, £45 billion into that bank. That is £2,500 for every working family in the country. And the most important thing is we get that money back. We need RBS to return to health. It's got to deal with its bad loans. It's got to deal with the trouble it got into. It's got to grow the rest of its business. It's therefore, and then, then we'll get into a position where we can return people the money that they put into that bank. That's what matters most of all. Mr Chris Hopkins. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I offer my sympathies to the families and friends of the six soldiers who have been killed, five of which uh, served with the Yorkshire Regiment, the 3rd Battalion, the Duke of Wellington's, which I had the privilege of serving with. Can I ask um, the Prime Minister, I recognise the important and vital role uh, which our troops uh, endeavour to undertake, uh, and I support that process. But can I say that we do need to bring our troops back in 2015? And can I ask the Prime Minister that we do everything to support the families of those who were lost? Yeah. I, I, my old friend speaks with considerable experience because of his service in our armed forces. I think it's important that we have the date for our troops coming home from Afghanistan, a date which I set that we would not be in a combat role or anything like the numbers we're in now at the end of 2014. I think it's also important that we make sure they have all the equipment between now and then to keep them as safe as possible. And I pay tribute the last government started this with the 
extra money put into vehicles since 2006, and we've spent since then around £2 billion on better protected vehicles. We put an additional £160 million on counter ID equipment, but he's absolutely right, we need to do more for their families at home, and that is what the whole military covenant process, and also the Cabinet Committee, which I chaired the first meeting of, is all about. Gisela Stewart. Mr Speaker, using applied language solutions was supposed to save the West Midlands Police £750,000 a year, and yet last week we heard translator shortage leaves police unable to quiz suspects for weeks. Is that the kind of service we can expect when our police forces will take our tenders from private security companies? Well, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with the police getting back office functions carried out uh, by private sector organisations. Indeed, when the shadow policing minister was asked uh, the question at the Home Office uh, Home Affairs Select Committee, uh, he said he was quite relaxed about that. So I think that is right. But can I say to the Honourable Lady, I'm delighted that she's looking at the issue of whether to become a police and crime commissioner. It would be an excellent way of calling the police to account, and I hope many other honourable members will consider this career change. Mr Bernard Jenkins. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Could my right honourable friend do all he possibly can to support Mayor Boris Johnson in London, who is pleading with the PRU, our biggest insurer, not to leave the City of London because of the attack by the European Union on the City of London's competitiveness? Could I invite him? to block the Fiscal Union Treaty uh, by, by applying to the European Court of Justice uh, because it is illegal until we get the city safeguards which he was demanding in December. My, my, my honourable friend is entirely right to raise the case of the Prudential because it is an example where ill-thought-out EU legislation is endangering a great British business that should have its headquarters right here in the UK. So I do recognise the importance. We're working extremely hard at the European level and with the Prudential to try and deal with this. And I know we have the full support of Boris Johnson in doing that. Order. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.